Hi everyone, my name is Nakmi Shireen and you're listening to Make Change Studio podcast series. Make Change Studio is a product of a collaboration between BD School of Business and the School of Interactive Arts and Technology. They both work from Simon Fraser University. This collaboration has been made possible by Charles Chang Institute for Entrepreneurship. And the purpose of this podcast is to have deeper conversations with the industry experts on topics around design, sustainability, research, and entrepreneurship. My question today is how do we know exactly what our passion is? How to detach ourselves from an idea in pursuit to discover a larger vision? How do we know it's time to pivot? Is the passion more important or the idea? Are they even the same things? To answer these and many more questions, my guest today is Asad Aftab. Asad is a graduate from the University of Warwick who started his entrepreneurial journey at the age of 18, long before he even knew his passion was to study the business sides of things. Mistaken to believe he was born to learn English literature and write poetry, somewhere along the way he found out he was actually good at exploring his entrepreneurial mind. Till date, Asad has co-founded 10 companies around sports, textile and digital marketing. Recently, when the pandemic hit, Asad's years of experience and wisdom helped him to quickly pivot and launch a made-to-wear sports garment under the existing umbrella of his current company called Rage Customs. Without further ado, let's hear more on Asad's journey of entrepreneurial experiments and know more on what has he learned so far. Welcome, Asad, to Make Change Studio podcast series. How are you doing today? I'm good, and it's great to be here. Awesome. Asad, you have been part of the, you have been doing entrepreneurship right at the age of 18, right? I guess hmm. you were doing your bachelor's then. What was happening at that time that led you to start your own venture this early at your life? Well, uh, I mean, of background about me, I, I come from a fam, uh, family of businessmen. So my father uh, was a businessman. He had his, you know, uh, field hockey business. And from a very early age, we used to go with him to different tournaments, to different, you know, sort of exhibitions. So I mean, I was, I was, you know, uh, I I got involved in business pretty early, anyways. And so uh, when I when I got to that age, you know, I had a few ideas and. Uh, Basically, you know, it just came naturally uh, that, you know, uh, my father was very supportive. He gave me a bit of money to sort of experiment. And um, and I started off with my first brand, which was actually a, a denim brand, uh, which I started with. And was it the Borealis? Network, the one that you started with, or was it uh, the Jellyfish? Uh, my first brand, that was called B-Jeans. So actually, Borealis Enterprises, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's an abbreviation for B-E as well. So it was B-Jeans. Uh, that was my first brand. And uh, it was, you know, because I, I am from Sialkot, and, you know, we have a famous poet from here, Elama Iqbal, who talked about individuality uh, a lot and all his poetry sort of revolved around that. I actually wrote a book, uh, a poetry book when I was like 16, 17 as well. So I was really inspired 
by you know uh, uh, i mean him uh, so i mean like, he talked a lot about individuality and so i mean i sort of framed the entire brand identity around individuality and around that sort of you know a uh, concept so it was called p genes and uh, that's where later on you know we got to borealis enterprises which is still the company that i that i own yeah seems like you're still working uh, on, on it tell us more about borealis what is it uh, what does borealis enterprises do and okay so borealis uh, the borealis i mean that's actually is uh, you know there was a typo Uh, the story is quite interesting it was actually a typo so i mean i wanted to name it aurora borealis like based on the aurora borealis but when i was filling in the forms i made a uh, you know spelling mistake and so i got stuck with this uh, spelling of you know borealis but the good thing that came out of it was that i could get you know the domain name and the url and all that so borealis is kind of like you know just the uh, you know the the company that uh, that's there for uh in tax purposes and you know sort of the company name but we work on individual brands we work on different ventures so all the ventures are uh, their own identities mm-hmm. but they all uh, are part of boilers enterprises as well so that's you know where our bank accounts and all that is named after but we all are individual uh, entities uh, or brands of work under this umbrella Mm, very cool. And Asad, um before you even I know that you did masters uh, from University of Warwick and um that was around in 2010 I suppose 2010 2011 and before that you have had like looking at your work seems like you were quite involved in entrepreneurship before even before way before that and um you established like kind of like founded three at least three startups and um, jellyfish designs was one of them qp undergarments for men was another one uh, how were you available for all of them simultaneously why do you think it's important to be involved in multiple startups is it is it does it help or is it hard to you know how do you prefer and why would you do that and why if you prefer that that was not the right thing then what are your thoughts on it I mean I think uh, it's, it's, uh, at that point in time you know of course I was very young and it was kind of an evolution I was discovering myself basically I was discovering what I could do and uh, I mean uh, in a way I was discovering that I could design I had a knack for that I could sort of connect on a deeper level you know through my copy through my writing because I had that english literature sort of background so i mean i felt that if i could write i could sell if i could you know uh, you know inspire someone i can sort of you know make them a follower you know uh, which nowadays you know a lot of people are you know that that they want to do so i felt uh, you know all those things so it was a, it was a natural progression that i was <clears throat> looking at different uh, sort of avenues they were not perhaps the right decisions i made a lot of bad decisions and that's gotten to me gotten me where i am today mm. but i mean i i feel that you know things come with age and that's a natural thing and that's a good thing and uh, so i went through all those sort of ventures they felt at the time that they were national progression and i was trying to mimic things that inspired me mm. but all of that has eventually now brought me to reach custom 
which is something that I am now focused on that now I feel that, you know, I am doing what I was meant to do. And all those experiences, you know, with QP, there was, you know, I, I, I had experience with photography, with PGs, it was about branding, with, you know, other sort of ventures, it was about sort of, you know, coming, uh, you know, getting familiarized with technology, with, you know, um, uh, and all of these sort of experiences. So it led me to where I am now. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's now my core focus, and that is reach custom. Perfect, that's perfect. That's so inspiring, Asad. And um, knowing you, um, like we have known each other for quite some time, and knowing you, I know that you talked about a little bit about finding yourself, and you know, what are my skill set? Where do I belong? Where can I excel? And it seems like you had a bit of experience in your educational background as well. Would you like to share with the audience like what what it was? I know that you did do English. You kind of like started doing IT, but then eventually you went into commerce. Um, Would you like to tell us more? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, like like you were discussing, I mean, I... uh, like I was you know, trying to discover, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs go through this uh, phase, go through this process. I mean, there's something innate within us. You know, a lot of entrepreneurs might you know agree with that. Is that there's something innate where we're not happy with the way things are. You know, that's something that's innate. That's what makes a lot of entrepreneurs see solutions where you know people don't see you know something different and that's something that developed uh, i mean thankfully uh, you know pretty early on so i was restless i was looking at sort of you know uh, you know different disciplines I, I mean they didn't seem right to me i got into a few degree programs you know a few graduate programs i left those i didn't feel they uh, you know uh, were doing sort of you know justice with you know uh, uh, where, where I wanted to be. And so it sort of became like, you know, I started my own businesses. I was learning through that a lot. And uh, and so I, I, I left, you know, uh, formal education as such. I, I thought I would never get back to it. I did my bachelor's and that was it. And I, uh, I didn't have any plans of doing master's. But later down the line, you know, when I was sort of, you know, when I got, you know, four or five years after that, you know, I got an, got an opportunity uh, and it was just, you know, uh, uh, something on a whim that I wrote to Warwick University. They had a master's program of e-business management and all of my ventures had an e-business technology component to them. So I felt that, you know, I could get into this. I, to be honest, at the time, I didn't even want to sort of get a degree as such. I just wanted to learn. I just wanted to verify what I had discovered, in, in, you know, in the previous four or five years. And so... Um, so I just applied and they said, okay, you can come because I had these sort of you know, different experiences, uh, practical experiences that took, they took into account. Mm-hmm. And um, I just went there and that happened to be the best year of my life. I mean, I uh, really enjoyed myself, a lot of opportunities, a lot of lifelong friendships opened up. I mean, as a human being, I mean, as an entrepreneur, you have your uh, own sort of uh, set of things, but as a human being, you know, when you travel, you meet other people from different cultures. That just opens you up to so many experiences. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, apart from the entrepreneurial sort of discussion, just as a human component, I feel traveling made me a much calmer, more well-rounded sort of, you know, person. 
Very cool. And at Warwick, you were able to also start a business incubation program, which wasn't there before, I suppose, before you yeah, came yeah. And yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, sorry. So yeah, I mean, uh, uh, they didn't have uh, an incubation program, and I was really involved, you know, uh, in the entrepreneurial society. Uh, and there was they had this uh, business idea competition uh, at Warwick, and I presented one of my ideas. You know, uh, we won. You got like fifteen hundred pounds for it. So that sort of you know brought me in the, in, the, uh, in the eye of a lot of people, a lot of professors a lot of people from other departments. So I could then, you know, uh, get some opportunities to meet, you know, the chancellor. I actually met met the EU commissioner of industry and trade and, you know, the local minister, Mark Prisk of, you know, industry, uh, you know, on a couple of occasions. And so, I mean, like, you know, so, I mean, I, I had some sort of, you know, connections uh, at the time and I felt that, you know, they needed to have an incubation center. These were just popping up at the time back in 2010. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, the uh, the whole sort of flow departments, they were very uh, supportive of that. And um, so I used to be, I was the co-founder of the Warwick Incubator uh, that they started. And um, yeah, and that led me to sort of later on teach on the course, uh, the Masters in Entrepreneurship course as well. Mm-hmm. So I actually taught there for one year after I completed my master's. Yeah, and so you not only did you teach in UK, I think you also um, run workshops off and on in Pakistan as well. And you're part of the incubation program Start Hub, I guess, in Pakistan. Yeah, I mean, you know, so when I was in Pakistan, I mean, it was a small community. I mean, back, back in those days, I mean, you know, you didn't have that uh, vibrant of an uh, you know, entrepreneurial uh, sort of, you know, Circle in Lahore, uh, where I was, and um, you know, uh, and so I mean, we were, we were a small community, and so LAMS and you know all these other sort of institutes, they used to have startup weekends and you know those sort of things, and we were part of that small circle that used to sort of you know go to these places, uh, and you know be, uh, I, I got to be the mentor at some, and and just you know sort of communicate with uh, young entrepreneurs, uh, and that was pretty much our own age. But, you know, uh, we just had a bit more experience in the field. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I got to be part of a few things. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it was good experience. Very cool. And so, and for some time, I don't know if you do it right now, but for some time you also were involved in Rage Hockey, which yeah. evolved into something much bigger right now. But um, what led you to start something in, you know, in a sports field, and uh, field hockey is famous in Pakistan as a national game. Uh, what exactly were your services? Okay, so uh, I mean, my father, his business uh, was that you know uh, he'd been manufacturing field hockey sticks since the the seventies. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know uh, so that was my family business. So when I started the uh, the denim brand, I mean, you know, uh, it, that was my first venture, and it. It failed, you know, it failed in the sense that, you know, uh, I had a certain vision about it and, you know, I was too young at the time to sort of understand that, you know, uh, you know, uh, you have to be flexible. You have to be flexible. There's lots, lots of compromises. And, but, you know, that was a good learning curve. So when I, um, uh, you know, when these jeans wasn't working out, immediately I, uh, you know, sort of shifted back to field hockey. And sort of created because I had learned, like I said, I mean, I 
I learned a lot about branding when I was working at BG, you know, because I was looking at, you know, Gucci and Armani and, you know, all these other big brands. And I was looking at, you know, how they were doing branding. So I, I felt that, you know, uh, field hockey at the time, it, it wasn't something, and design was, wasn't something that sort of, you know, uh, at the at the center of, you know, field hockey brand. It was just one big label on a hockey stick. And so it, when I sort of, you know, uh, um, ventured into it and I started thinking about it, you know, uh, my first range, I based it on Greek mythical creatures. So, you know, like the Pegasus, the Phoenix and Sphinx and all these sort of characters. So, I mean, and we've got a lot of design and color to the hockey sticks. And so, uh, that's where, you know, my design uh, sort of, you know, aesthetic sort of developed and uh, so field hockey sticks uh, that would then be manufactured by my father I was just branding them, and we had, I mean, that was back in 2004, 2005. And we made our own website, uh, PhD, and we started selling. Uh, we were directing to customers all around the world. I think I was the first Pakistani to uh, do e-commerce sales uh, from Pakistan, sitting in Pakistan, directly through my website to customers. So, you know, that was something that, you know, uh, that we started and we did. And uh, it, it went through progression it was successful for you know quite a long time but yeah i mean we get to that but you know basically that led to and experiences with rage hockey led to you know what we have now and which is something that's that's quite different and you know it has uh, a bigger potential right and i think the the concept that you talked briefly while talking about rage hockey the individualism treating uh, giving personalized treatment to your customers is very important in any business. Um, and now with Rage Custom, uh, is that 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 is how you call it, right? Yeah, Rage Custom. Rage Customs. Basically, what you're giving is individualized treatment to your customers. Tell us more about um, your current venture, which you're currently working on, Rage Customs. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you know, that's, Rage Customs is the culmination of all my years of experience, you know, in, you know, so many different kinds of products, uh, sort of, you know, wearing, you know, too many hats, you know, uh, over the years. But, uh, you know, so Rage Custom is basically, uh, when, when I was, you know, uh, building brands, when I was, creating products. It was always about me taking a decision on behalf of people. So like all brands, even, you know, the ones that you use, they, you know, make that decision and they use mass production techniques, you know, um, wasteful, which are not environmentally friendly. It's just a, a cycle of mass consumption that they have sort of, you know, uh, I mean, that, that everybody's sort of following. So what that, so what the difference that we are now bringing is that we're using cutting edge technology because beforehand, yes, that was an important thing. You had to have size charts. You had to have standardization for the whole industrial revolution to take place. And that was okay at the time. But now that we have these technologies where we can sort of uh, communicate directly with the customer, we can use uh, 3D avatars, we can use uh, CAD drawings, we can use, you know, uh, uh, these digital printing techniques. And uh, of course, you know, the logistics have gotten so much quicker as well. So we have bridged this gap that the customer, the consumer can communicate directly with factories 
and we provide the interface for it. So with that, they can get things like you know made-to-measure apparel. They can design their own stick. They can uh, have you know their own options. So things can be made of that requirements. So with wage custom, what we see is a revolution um, in how products are made sustainably and how customers can be empowered to get what they want. I mean, if I was a brand, I mean, uh, you, uh, I mean, if you're wearing this yellow jacket or, you know, I mean, somebody made that decision and, you know, you got that. But if you wanted some other color, you know, this yellow jacket would have sat on those, those racks until it would have gone on a sale to perhaps, you know, another sort of, you know, smaller uh, sale and then perhaps to the landfill. You know, so but now that you know exactly, you know, uh, you have full control over what you can get, uh, that sort of, you know, fixes that problem. So now you can get this yellow jacket in your own size without sort of looking at size charts. And that's the promise of mass customization. That's the promise of Industry 4.0, that manufacturing systems and consumer requirements can be aligned together. And basically, we are building that interface uh, with Rage Custom. So it's a platform. We are now connecting with multiple factories. And, you know, we have very, very uh, strong growth plans, you know, for 2021, 22. We'll be bringing, you know, a lot more factories into the fold. So they will be, uh, they, they make, you know, uh, stuff for some of the biggest brands in the world. And their sample rooms are going to be something that are going to be open to the world open to the consumers so you will come on our website you will design what you want and that thing will be made by the best factories there are but made on order so they get to get a little bit more profit you get something that's you know the design you wanted thing you wanted the the color everything you know that you wanted and uh, we as a platform facilitate that so with Rage Custom, we're finally getting out of sports, which we we were doing. Of course, that's going to be a big part going forward of what we uh, were doing. But, you know, this is going to become like, you know, a platform where creatives can come in, put in their design. Uh, you know, factories can come in, put up their products and customers can come in and get what they want. So basically, it's kind of like a platform um, which is which has uh, benefits for everybody, like for people who are who want to enjoy individualism, um, who want to create their own products who, that that they can wear, I guess, uh, because it's more on textile, right? Is that correct? Uh, no, uh, I mean we started off with uh, field hockey equipment, you know, because that was our main sort of you know uh, product that we know how to do. Uh, knew how to do so you know and then we brought in cricket then we brought in soccer rugby volleyball and actually after that we brought in um, you know uh, uh, clothing and the thing was I mean with with equipment you know just letting people do their own design was something unique you know was something that nobody else was doing Uh, with clothing on the other hand it was I mean, the design of it, like, you know, a, a jacket or a sweater, I mean, you just want like a black sweater or a, or a red T-shirt. You don't, I mean, not a lot of people want very, you know, sort of extensive design for it, uh, on it, you know, basically. So what we felt and what we found that a bigger innovation was made to measure. Like, how can we sort of, you know, uh, because there's so many people who don't fall within standard size chart 
sort of you know uh, mechanism so you know you can have an excel but and that would fit somebody's waist perfectly but they might be 7 foot 2 inches you know so that's just not going to work for them so uh, this is something that's coming around i mean we're just a little ahead of the curve but i know for a fact that a lot of companies uh, are working on this and uh, there's going to be you know in 2021 2022 there's going to be a lot of growth uh, of the you know uh, these kind of startups which are doing made to measure which are doing made to order you're going to have these kind of mechanisms in malls where you know they're going to be bringing sort of manufacturing back to uh, you know uh, the local sort of you know uh, local markets and uh, we're already seeing experimentation on this going on uh, you know in a in a in a small but you know uh, you know in a more promising way. yeah it's, it's just happening right right and um with this like i know that i know that you have been involved in so many like we all have seen you talk about different startups and at what point like based on your experience at what point do you know that it's time to pivot it's time to start mm-hmm. something new like according to your experience when yeah i mean two two things that you know i, uh, I mean uh, that 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 been very helpful for me mm-hmm. first is i mean dreams dreams you need to take care of i mean dreams are something that you see the world in a in a certain way and you have to protect them you have to stand by them and you have to you know fight for them ideas you have to be more strict with and the mistake a lot of you know young entrepreneurs make is that they fall in love with ideas you know so for example if i was to take sort of which customer as an example i mean the dream is that there should be you know no waste that there should be you know stuff that people actually care about that matters to them you know it the design on it is you know um, the name of your son or your daughter or whatever is of value to you and it's made to your exact requirements so i mean that's the dream that there are products that matter and you know uh, not a, a lot of waste but ideas can be flawed ideas can change so i mean how do we get there do we get there through a mobile app do we have a web interface so i mean but if you fall in love with an idea then you can make mistakes so uh, as far as i'm concerned once you know that you know uh, this is what you want to see in the world you i mean elon musk wants to see you know people have a safe safety net of you know if, if somebody happens uh, something happens to the uh, to the planet so that's his dream and how sort of you know he does that you know those are different ideas that work together over time and so you know so you have to be very strict with ideas but dreams you need to care about dreams once you have them you need to fight for and so uh, you know when to pivot from ideas but if it comes down to it that your motivation money your motivation was personal gain your so that that, that you know there will will come a time when you were confronted with that and that dream those kind of dreams are very nice you know for personal gain but they tend not to make a, a you know a, a big impact and so you know uh, if it's a, but if 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 they are dreams where you know it's about other people if it's about sort of you know then yeah persist with them pivot on ideas reach however you can reach and i mean just to sort of you know give you sort of a framework of how i sort of approach these things is basically 
uh, I mean, a lot of people think that entrepreneurship is about, you know, uh, problem solving, you know, creating solutions for problems. I personally feel it's a question and answer session. You know, it's kind of like this. It's quite like, uh, kind of like that. You know, every question can be framed differently. You know, why do we need to do this? Or it can be framed as what if we do this? You know, why do this or why not do this? You know, so, I mean, basically being an entrepreneur, your job is to sort of frame questions in a certain way. You're, you, you, can, you need to frame problems in a certain way, ask questions around them in a very logical and strict way so that you can get to you know an honest answer and you're not deluding yourself with uh, you know faulty ideas that might be you know stopping you from making progress mm interesting uh, very interesting and uh, while you were talking about dreams and ideas i think would it be correct if um, and please correct me if you think that's not aligning with what you're saying is there's vision and then there's an implementation. Implementation can be flawed and there's nothing wrong with making mistakes. There's nothing wrong mm-hmm. with, uh, you know, choosing the wrong implementation of the vision that you have. Um, but it's just that knowing that when to pivot, when to, uh, knowing that when to stop and experiment further um, on, on, on maybe 2.0 or maybe version three altogether, instead of improving it, looking at the breadth of solution is important before you start doing the depth analysis or going deep into. I mean, we, we all know about, you know, the minimum viable product, the startup approach. And, you know, when I was, I was in Warwick, you know, we were, we were kind of teaching this, you know, to students. But, you know, I felt, I always felt that there is something else, which I call the minimum viable experience, you know, or basically putting in a way what you want them to feel, you know, because my mantra is love by customer, you know, because your customer is your bestest friend. I mean, just, you know, if you can imagine, like, you know, if somebody is putting, you know, a $5 pastry that you made, you know, in their mouth, they would never be thinking that, oh, I, I, I hope it tastes really bad or I hope it tastes like crap. They would never say that. So, I mean, they want you to succeed when they've made a decision, a conscious decision. So my North Star is to go to a customer, is to ask a customer, you know, you have those sort of surveys, would you recommend us from a scale of one to ten? Those are pretty much, for in a lot of cases, the answer. Mm-hmm. They will tell you if an idea is working. Your customers will they want you to succeed. Well, and they have a psychological bias towards it. I mean, you know, when, when they've made a decision to, you know, uh, pay something for your product or service, they're invested in it. They want to justify that decision to their friends, to their parents. Oh, I bought this car because, you know, this is amazing. This has the best engine. This has the best color. They will justify it on your behalf. But if they, uh, you know, are, are unhappy, if you let them down, if your solution is not working for them, then they will become very critical. Then they will become very critical. And that's your sign. That's your sign that your solution is not working. You're, you're not solving the problem. So love thy customer. Go to them. Ask them. Make them happy. That's what you no know, businesses are. We, we are, uh, the, all businesses are in 
the business of creating customers. We're not selling products. We're not making solutions. We're creating customers for our products. We're finding people, aligning them with our marketing and advertising, and sort of showing them that this is the solution for you. And if there's a disconnect, if a person, uh, that's happened to me actually, you know, uh, for a couple of times in my, you know, sort of uh, a few tech startups, that I was trying to create something that there was no market for. So, I mean, I didn't have evangelists. But now with Rage Custom, why I am so passionate uh, more than anything, you know, that I've ever been is that, you know, one of our customers, one of our first customers uh, who ordered a you know, made-to-measure uh, jacket from us, he, uh, he is seven foot six inches tall. And he placed his first order, because obviously he was circumspect, and he placed his first order, we did a good job. He ordered three more items. We did a good job. He ordered five more items, you know. And we could tell that he was happy. We had solved the problem for him. He, you know, he he was not going to go away. And so those are the kind of things that, you know, uh, you know uh, help us sort of, you know, carry on. So when in doubt, you know, uh, talk to your customers. Uh, talk to your customers. Very, very interesting conversation, I said. And talking about customer, customer feedback, you know, and I, I, I am around the, like, I totally agree with you. Customer feedback is super important. And the way I started this course was, um, you know, ask my students to go out before they even were working on their problem statements to go out and talk to people who actually have a voice on the problem that you are discovering before you even work out a solution so that you understand the problem further through them. Now, talking about the customer's feedback and all of that, there is always, you know, the flip side of it and um, not necessarily all the customer feedback that you're getting is, you know, there's often some noise as well in the data that you collect. And how do you, I mean, how do you separate the noise and how do you make sense of the data that you are collecting, whether it's quant or qual, whether it's coming from interviews or surveys or, mm-hmm. you know, other um, additional, um, uh, you know, big data tools that you're uh, using to collect the data from website, et cetera, app data. Um, how do you how do you separate the noise from the useful, actually, mm-hmm. that is going to help you progress? I mean, in terms of your students, I can imagine that it's a bit, it's a little bit harder. It's a little bit harder. But as a business, I mean, are we separate the two? So there is user feedback and there is customer feedback. Uh, a user is someone that, you know, uh, like we have this famous, I mean, I, I mean, some people say that it's not like this, this is not something that Ford said, but it's uh, attributed to Ford, Henry Ford. That if I'd asked people what they wanted, they would say a faster horse. Yeah, that's that's something that you know people uh, tend to say. But that's the thing. That's users. Customers pay when somebody is paying for it. If you can, that's and that's where you know you can identify if a problem is big enough to be solved or not. Ask them to pay. You know, if you can go to someone with a minimum viable product, with a minimum viable experience, and get them to pay, then their feedback becomes valuable. I mean, I know it's it's a little, I mean, it's a it's a little difficult to do in an educational setting because you obviously don't have like a working product at all, uh, theoretical. But uh, I mean, that's how I would differentiate it. And there was a there was a uh, you know something I read when I when I was really young that there was an artist and who uh, you know put up his 
he worked on a painting for you know you know a long time and he put it uh, uh, on the road and he said if you notice a mistake here's a black pen point it out you know and when he came you know uh, you know uh, uh, that day later that day you know the whole painting was like filled with black marks like you know everybody had thought oh, this is wrong this is wrong this is wrong everybody was giving their opinion and he got really sort of you know uh, demoralized and said i'm going to commit suicide and he was going to sort of you know uh, take his life and then he met someone and he uh, told him the situation and he said okay make that exact painting again and put this statement underneath it and so he made that you know uh, painting again and he put that statement and the statement was if you notice a mistake please correct it and then he came later that day and there was not a single mark on that painting you know so it's how again you frame that question that you know and uh, you know if, if you ask people for their opinions you know you're going to get them and you know but if you ask people to sort of you know and once you know you convert somebody to a customer then then my sort of you know sort of philosophy about you know that they are your best friend you know your customer is your support network your customer is your north star so then they're on they uh, uh, in it with you and that's why i you know uh, go i always you know uh, even in our customer support even in our our customer in some they may not necessarily be always right you know but we'll take care of them anyways because you know uh, that's something not even good friends would do you know pay you money so uh, that's something that you know how i would differentiate that your user feedback and then you have customer feedback and the motivations for both are different hmm interesting no that that's a very valuable um you know information the conversation is very valuable and um based on your experience that you what you're sharing is certainly of um, more value to it and i would like to talk a little bit about um how your business and how businesses around you were affected when pandemic hit and um that was something that we all experienced within our own capacities different levels different intensities and business wise entrepreneurship wise because you were testing something new um and not necessarily there's any more market is available the market that you had before pandemic not necessarily it exists or it sustains during mm-hmm. or after the pandemic so yeah. institutions like these what has you been what 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 has been your experience so far mm-hmm. and how do you advise i mean as a as a businessman as somebody who has to pay the bills who has to pay uh, you know uh, fees and all of you know uh, salaries and all that it was a tremendous hit it was it it jolted us it uh, put a lot of businesses uh, you know out and uh, and and when especially for us because we folk we were focused on sports and we were focused on team sports um, you know we took a very very bad hit you know financially speaking but i mean like you framed the question as an entrepreneur i mean as an entrepreneur this was as any entrepreneur tell you you know a gold mine of an opportunity so uh, you know whilst we were struggling badly whilst you know we we had to you know because there were sort of enforced you know shutdowns and lockdowns and all that we had to close factories we had to sort of you know 
uh, do a lot of things and you know uh, our customers sort of you know stuck through us uh, you know throughout the whole uh, period but you know financially while we were sort of you know uh, struggling uh, as an entrepreneur you know it was opening up so many doors i mean uh, this work from home thing this is allowed me to hire talent that would otherwise would not look at sort of you know anything less you know in terms of office space and all that they would look at those things this work from home thing that that sort of helped with that um, there been you know businesses that were incumbent you know them sort of going out of business because their model wasn't sort of resilient enough that's opened a lot of doors so i mean it, again it's all about perspective that you know this situation is the situation bad yes it is how can i you know make it better so uh, not easy to do you know you have to have thick skin you have to have uh, and there the bad days there are bad days when you are you're, you're emotional with all the losses and so I mean, it's not it's not a, it's not a, a, it's been a much bumpier ride since 2020 than it was before that that's for sure but it's still been an amazing ride nonetheless and the, the way that is opening up things you know for internet businesses for innovative new uh, business ideas uh, i mean anybody with sort of you know um, you know um, you know an entrepreneurial brain is sort of looking at this as a gold mine that you know big businesses big incumbents are falling down huge gaps uh, are there you know and uh, how can we sort of create new business models to uh, target that mm interesting yeah i think i think what i have noticed and and it's entirely in line with what, you, what you're saying is adaptability was in question and it was tested and you know people who adapt to this new environment like not not a physical environment but new emotional environment and you know the way things are being done the way things are being seen the way things are being executed was different than what it was to, uh, happening previously and businesses that were able to adapt to this new um system were able to survive through it it definitely everybody like you said got affected definitely everybody had a had an impact whether directly or indirectly but striving through it um i think that's the hallmark for a true entrepreneur uh because that's when you grow when you are in trouble when you are tested when things are not entirely there um you know not according to your plan or what you foresee they were they would be and that's when you actually innovate that's when most of the creativity is coming out and and i have seen i've seen this creative um solutions coming out because of the pandemic people started thinking about uh, out of the box mm. the way things are being done not necessarily they always have to be done the way they are done right okay. i mean look at this um, this university teaching style if mm. you look at it physical nobody could have thought of doing everything digital like previously digital teaching like online teaching wasn't uh, considered a very healthy okay. way to teach and now now that it was online i a few days ago i was part of this uh, uh conference uh, where the instructors from the from the entire university were invited to give a talk about how they innovated in their style of um teaching and 
it's amazing how each one of them had an idea to share and i was part of the panel panelist and i i did share what i innovated in but it was amazing to see different people came up with very different solutions diverse solutions diverse innovation uh, strategies that we all can learn from mm-hmm. each other and we can adapt absolutely i mean the biggest thing that i've noticed is that you know uh, when i was uh, doing branding and sort of uh, learning how corporations work and you know this corporate culture and you know uh, this corporate machine which isn't even human you know so i mean this has made us all more human you know it's mm-hmm. it's it's shown students that teachers are human you know uh, uh, your kid is you know behind you or something else is happening and that's been okay you know because we've just realized that all of us are going through the same thing at the same time so i mean it's made this a beautiful phenomena that we've recognized each other's humanity uh, you know our customers have been you know uh, okay with 30 days delay you know delays by a month you know because of the lockdowns they were okay by it they, nobody in the last year 2020 asked for a refund yes we've had orders cancelled before they were finalized but we didn't have anyone who had paid ask for a refund they waited all that so i mean you know it's a beautiful thing and i think it's changed business in a in a in a, in a much better way it's gotten more personal and uh, you know it's, it's it's a good way to do business the robotic you know this this corporate face humanless thing it's sort of going away anyways and which is a good thing and it's it's been the final push to that as well excellent so happy to hear you say all of this um asad it has been a very valuable discussion to wrap it up i would like to hear um if any word of wisdom or advice you have for the students who are trying to innovate right now in this moment in time knowing that they are in pandemic and mm-hmm. also knowing that they are at the very early stages of their um uh entrepreneurship journey mm-hmm. what would you advise them i mean i think you know first of all you know uh, uh we've been there i mean i was a student like that and you know doubt is okay and uh, you know uh, fear of failure is okay and you know all of these emotions are okay you can embrace them you can you can cry you know or you can uh, you know be you know you know there, there are those frustrating days and those are okay that's not a sign of weakness that's that's your brain breaking down that problem for you so it's using emotions to do it it's using a lot of things to do it so and like i mentioned the start of the things come with age and that's a good thing you need to be brave when you are a certain age then you need to consolidate and take lessons and consolidate that learning and then you need to pass it on so these are all aspects of an age you can't expect a 20 year old to uh, be in that consolidating phase and sort of uh, knowing exactly what he needs to he needs to experiment he needs to sort of you know, do all of them and you know in, in in this entire talk and thank you for this opportunity you know if 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 people have heard something that's resonated with them then it's timely for them then they are ready and they should take it and if what i've said some of things that we have discussed if they sound logical to them but not relevant keep that you know just keep it with you it might make sense you know after a little while and uh you know so I mean, it's all part of the journey you'll get there you'll eventually the only thing that you can do is be persistent 
If you're persistent, mm-hmm. if you don't give up, I mean, I have seen, you know, uh, in my you know, fair share that persistence is the key. Persistence takes you to places. And if you don't give up, I mean, nature kind of has a way to sort of reward you for that. Because at the end of the day, that's pretty much, you know, all that's in your control. You know, apart from that, you know, you could have the best business plan in the world and then pandemic hits. So, you know, it's all about persistence. Very good. Thank you so much, Asad, for taking time out. We know that you're busy, you're traveling at the moment, but still you took time out for this podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.